0: In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes. Some have got broken and carrying them up to the attic. The holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt, and the children got ready for school. With these lines, the poet, W. H. Auden, captures something of the mood of these last days of Christmas. We're only today reached the twelfth and final day of Christmas, But seeing no drummers drumming, not even any pipers piping, we are already beginning to put the feast behind us. It's been a nice break, we think, but now it's time to get back to the office. Time to pay bills and conjugate verbs and clean our rooms. (laughs) Time to return to the real world, we're tempted to think. Christmas can sometimes seem like an escape from reality with its angels and dreams and magi and stars, almost like a fairy tale removed from the cold harshness of life. Almost, but only almost. Because the story of Christmas does not happen once upon a time, but in Herod's time. Jesus, we read, is born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. It's a story that is set squarely in the midst of the brutal political reality of Herod the Great, who clawed his way into power as the client king of the Roman province of Judea in 37 BC and ruled there with an iron fist for over 30 years. His reign was, on the one hand, marked by an ambitious building program. He built great fortresses and theaters, and most famously, he rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the base of which stands to this day as the Western Wall on the Temple Mount. On the other hand, Herod's reign was bloody. He executed many he saw as political threats, including one of his wives and three of his sons. And The Gospel of Matthew tells us that he ordered a massacre of all the male children in Bethlehem out in all that region who were two years old or younger, something which the hymn we just sang recognizes. It's an utterly realistic portrait of a tyrant willing to do whatever it takes to maintain power, an all-too-familiar story of a cynical and ruthless politician. Jesus is born in Herod's time. And so the story of his birth is both extraordinary, full of strange and joyful miracles, but also relentlessly ordinary, as ordinary as anything is in this devastated world, as normal as a newspaper headline, a murderous tyrant slaughtered children, a refugee family fleeing violence. Matthew's story of the Holy Family's flight to Egypt is the sort of thing we might see in the 10 o'clock news. The UN Refugee Agency estimates that there are now over 70 million people forcibly displaced worldwide. That's 70 million people who have been forced to flee their homes as a result of persecution, conflict, generalized violence, or human rights violations. That means that approximately one in every 100 humans is someone who has been forced to flee their home. Being displaced has become as ordinary as that. Half of the displaced are children. Some 30 million children have been forced to flee their homes worldwide. That's more than seven times the population of this state. 30 million boys and girls from countries across the world, from Syria and Afghanistan, El Salvador and Eritrea, Iraq and Ukraine. Not long ago, I came across the stories of three of these displaced children, an 11-year-old boy from eastern Ukraine named Oleg, a 12-year-old Syrian girl named Hana, and a 9-year-old Sudanese boy named Chua. In the introduction to their stories, the editor writes, as dissimilar as these three children are, they're bound in an unhappy fellowship, not only with one another, but also with the other displaced kids around the world and with the numberless children displaced throughout history by all the world's wars. We can say further that this unhappy fellowship includes the child Jesus. For our Lord became one of the displaced when Joseph arose and took the young child and his mother by night and fled into Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. The Holy Family was forcibly displaced by threat of violence, and they lived in another country until it was safer, safe enough for them to return. And even then, they didn't return to where they came from, but they went to another place in their home country. They were internally displaced. The Christmas story, that is, is also a story of a refugee family. It is as realistic and unsentimental as that. At the same time, the Holy Family's flight into Egypt is also more than just another story about displaced persons. Because when Matthew writes that Joseph arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, he goes on to write that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. In other words, The story of the flight into Egypt has significance that transcends its status as one of the numberless stories of the displaced. It's more than another story about the brokenness and violence of this world. It's a story about the purposes of God. It's a story about one of the things the Lord does for us and for our salvation. In a sermon preached early in the 5th century, Peter Chrysologos, the bishop of Ravenna, made a bold and insightful claim. Christ, he said, fled for us, not for himself. I want to think about that idea with you this morning, that Christ fled for us and not for himself. What difference might it make to see this story as something the Lord did for you and for me? Let's look again at Matthew's narrative to find out. Notice first how this story recalls the story of the people Israel. The patriarch Jacob and his family, remember this from Genesis, they fled famine in the land of Canaan by going down to Egypt where they received provision at the hand of Joseph. And now so too Christ is brought down to Egypt to escape danger in the care of another Joseph. In the Exodus, when the Lord led Israel out of Egypt, he spoke to Pharaoh through Moses, saying, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And again, years later, to the prophet Hosea, the Lord says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt have I called my son. And this brings us, of course, to St. Matthew, who sees this very text from Hosea fulfilled in Christ past and future, come together in Jesus the Son. In his flight to and his return from Egypt, he takes up the Exodus story that will then find its full completion in his death and resurrection. The whole story of God's salvation becomes present in him. Christ's flight into Egypt and his return embodies and enacts God's deliverance of his people Israel. Look more closely at Matthew's citation of the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Hosea wrote at a time when the people of Israel had been exiled to Babylon. And in the passage to which Matthew refers, Hosea is speaking of the Lord's compassion for his people and his desire to bring Israel home from exile. Hosea pictures Israel as God's wayward son, who keeps running away when called. The more I called them, God says, the more they went from me. Israel keeps returning to Egypt, as it were. And so do you and me. We, too, are wayward children. We keep returning to Egypt, returning to the devices and desires of our own hearts, running away from the Father. But not so the Lord Jesus. He, and he alone, does what the Son is meant to do. He lives in perfect obedience to the Father. And so he fulfills Israel's vocation and also the human vocation. Pope Benedict once wrote of him, He is truly the Son. He is not going to run away from the Father. He returns home and leads others home. He is always on the path to God, and thus he leads the way back from exile to the homeland, back to all that is authentic and true. That is to say, Christ fled for us. He was displaced in order to bring us back home, to bring us back to God, that we too might be like him, the children of God. Because of his immeasurable love, says Irenaeus, he became what we are in order to make us what he is. And thus the story of the flight into Egypt is more than a story about the displaced. It's a story about what the Lord does to save us. It's a story of God entering into the depths of human existence in order to heal and sanctify the whole of human life and so this story about scattering is also a story about gathering indeed it's part of the story of gathering namely the story of god gathering to him, us to himself in the person of jesus to use the language of saint paul in that long breathless sentence of his from our epistle this morning The flight into Egypt is part of the story of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, working out his loving purposes, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth and all of those things, even in him, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. The story of the flight into Egypt is a salvation story. And in it, we catch a glimpse of just how abnormal the violence of this world really is. We're tempted sometimes to think that Herod's time is all that there is, that the violence and displacement of this world that are caused by the Herods in this world are simply part of the way things are. We're tempted, in short, to think, as a character in a P.D. James novel does, that at the heart of the universe there is cruelty. She says we're predators and are preyed upon every living thing. The displaced in their millions and the specter of terror that haunts our world and a thousand other horrors seem sometimes to bear her out. But the Christmas story proclaims otherwise. proclaims that at the heart of the universe there is love. That's how another character in the same novel puts it, and it's true. At the heart of the universe, there is love. Love is the heart of reality. There's nothing more real than love, nothing more enduring than the love of God which we see in Christ Jesus our Lord, who was born for us and fled for us and was tempted for us and suffered for us and died for us, that was raised for us, and who pours out his spirit into our hearts. There's nothing deeper or broader or higher or more solid and substantial than the love of God for us. Nothing truer than the love which says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's Christmas time. The time of Herod is at an end. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.